So I'm excited about tonight's message. God's got some amazing things in store. And so John chapter number 11 is where we're going to start. John 11, 23. Uh, when you found it, say I'm there. You know, I like to say stuff like that rather than say amen all the time. Because, you know, when lost people come to church, they don't understand church and ease. You know, they don't understand church. Say amen. Why do we always say amen? Say hallelujah. What does hallelujah mean? Why don't we say stuff that they understand? If you found it, say I'm there. If you hadn't found it, it's on your paper. Just look there, and we'll be able to do it as well. Hey, bring your Bibles to church every time you come. Always want to encourage that. And the Bible says this in John chapter 11, 23. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Some of y'all need to believe on that word right there tonight. That's for somebody. You must begin to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, not just of your salvation so you go to heaven one day, but of your dreams, of your desires, of your destiny. Some of you have let your destiny fall in the tank because of, because of issues in your life, and you must believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And what he promised you years ago, he can still fulfill it in every area of your life. And it says, whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? And she responded, yes, Lord. Everybody say, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. And verse 40 says, And Jesus said to them, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Father, we believe tonight. And Lord, I pray that the glory of God doesn't one day show up in their life, but tonight it begins to show up in their life. It begins to transform their life. It begins to revive their destiny. And Lord, I pray that it's an experience with you that the world can't steal and that they'll never forget moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. The title of this evening's message is, Give It a Pillow. Give It a Pillow. And in the series entitled Lazarus, we're going to let God build something out of us. You as an individual, God wants to do something amazing, not just in your life, but with your life. A lot of us settle for God just doing something in our life. We settle for a transformation in us, but God doesn't just want to do something in us. He wants to do something with us, amen? He wants to do something with your life. And so we're going to let God build something out of us. In doing so, we're going to rise above our circumstances, our conditions, our questions that plague us in our Christian walk many times as we're walking this walk out. And I don't want you to think of your life as an instance anymore, an, instant, uh, an instance, but I want you to think of it as an occasion. An occasion takes planning, time to develop, and ends up being a lot more beneficial than to just a few people. You going out to eat last night was an instance, but your wedding was an occasion, Amen. It took planning. It took preparation. You building a house may be an instant, but building a skyscraper is an occasion. It affects more than just a few people. And so I want you to begin to think of your life as a skyscraper that God is nowhere close to finished with yet. Amen. Some of you, God's still bear, uh, digging piers down very deep so he can build you up very tall. Amen. And some of you are in a learning curve in your life, and, and God's transforming a lot of your thinking. And you need to celebrate as the transformation of your thinking takes place because he's building very deep peers in you so he can build something great out of you. And many times if we don't let him transform our foundation, we'll never achieve the full potential of who he's called us to be. And so I want to encourage you as God's transforming your life, he's building an occasion out of you. And now our very first series, first message in this series, we had to answer this question. And I bring this up every message because I believe that it's something you must address continually in your life because of the way the world is. And the Bible says in verses 5 through 7, And Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and her sister, which would be Mary, and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on 
down where he was for two more days. And after the two days, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And you must be answering this question continually in your life. The question of, does he love me? Because the way the world goes today, the way circumstances go today, the way life goes today, you you can get in a rut in your life and without even knowing it, a veil can be pulled over your spirit and you'll begin to not necessarily question his love for you because cognitively you know it, but by your actions in life, you'll begin to question the way you operate and which is literally questioning the love that he has for you. So you must, I bring this up every message because I want you to reiterate in your life every time we hear this series that God loves me. Jesus loves me. The Holy Spirit loves me. They're for me. They're not against me. He's got a plan for me. He's got a destiny for me. And listen, it won't take 10 seconds after leaving this sanctuary for the world to try to steal that. Come on. And, and, and if you're watching anything political right now, it takes about two seconds for the world to steal that. Come on now. And I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I'm just, just being honest. So in this life, the world and the, the, the enemy and all the circumstances are trying to steal what God is trying to impart. So you must continually uh, uh, make this a foundation question in your life and make sure you truly believe it, that he does love me. And the Bible says in verse 4, when Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. Or it will not lead to death, but it will become an occasion. Everybody say occasion. To show the glory of God by glorifying God's Son. And as I said earlier, I don't want you to think of your life as an instance anymore. I want you to think of your life as an occasion. An occasion takes planning. Everybody say takes planning. Everybody says takes time to develop. It ends up being a lot more beneficial than to just a few. See, I'm having you repeat it because I want you to start believing that about yourself. You're a lot more beneficial than your circle of influence that you're running with. You're a lot more beneficial than your little group of coworkers that you work with. You're a lot more beneficial than, 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 than the base group at TWBC that you're living with. And that's awesome. I want you to do life together at TWBC. But you're a lot more beneficial than just to the small circle of influence that you constantly come in contact with. And you've got to begin to believe that about your life and begin to believe that he's making an occasion. An instance is an occurrence that takes place that people witness. So we've talked about it several times, the widow of Nain. And Jesus went up to the coffin, laid his hand on it. The dude got up, walked away, gave him back to his mama. And it was an instance. A lot of people witnessed this. They marveled at it, the Bible says. But it was an instance. It wasn't an occasion. Because here's what an occasion is. It's planned. It's deliberate. It's not casual. It takes time. It has a process. But people are affected by it. Your life should affect other people in a way that would glorify the Father. So God's making an occasion out of your life. Now here's where we come into tonight. It says, now the issue we face because the past two weeks we've talked about this, you're either the control freak or you're the emotional basket case in your life. And it, because you're one or, the, one or the other, the very definition of occasion throws a wrench in your life. Because you're either the control freak or you're the emotional basket case. When you hear it is planned, it has a process, and it takes time, that doesn't sit well with either one of us. Because if you're the control freak, you want it done in a process, on time, but it's your time, not his time. And if you're the emotional basket case, it doesn't matter how quick it happens. It happened too fast. Oh, he waited too long. Nothing's ever good enough, and everything's crazy all the time. And so we've got to begin to understand that as God begins to work in us, he's making an occasion out of us. He's trying to change the, either the emotional basket case in us or the control freak in us. And if you be honest with yourself, both of you have both qualities in you. That he's trying to adjust the foundation of your life to make you trust in him. 
because he's building an out of your life that he wants to see take place. And so because of the very definition of occasion, many people have put things in a tomb that they should have given a pillow. Somebody needs to hashtag that and put it on Facebook, okay? <laughs> many of you have put things in a tomb that you should have been given a pillow. Many of you have put in dreams and desires in a grave that you should have just said, God's letting them rest right now. And God's developing me in me and things in me so I can get to where, where my, my destiny is supposed to be. But if you start putting things in a tomb that God says you're giving a pillow, you're giving up on your destiny and the occasion isn't going to arrive. So we must begin to understand what are those dreams that need to be revitalized in your life. Some of you have made treacherous mistakes to your own detriment in your life. And you're thinking right now, even in this sanctuary, that how could God ever use someone like me again? You need to begin to resurrect that dream that you've buried because of that thought that you just thought. You need to begin to resurrect who you are and what God promised you. Listen, if he can do it with, 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 with Jacob in the Old Testament who stole his brother's birthright and still had the, the destiny of Israel on the inside of him, come on, he can do it for you. And, and, and we got to get to be a church that believes again. Jesus' question in verse number 40, do you believe this? Do you believe he's the resurrection and the life, not just of your spirit to go to heaven one day, but of your dreams and of your destinies and of your desires? Do you believe this? And if you truly believe that, an excitement brewing on the inside of you right now, and part of you, the control freak side, is starting to worry, what do I do with this excitement that he's resurrecting again? And the emotional basket case side of you is like, oh my gosh, how do I contain this excitement again? And listen, you trust Jesus with it. I'm just trying to get it resurrected at the moment. I'll tell you what to do with it in a second. I'm just trying to rise it up, and I'm calling dreams and destinies, desires to awaken on the inside of you. I'm calling you to awaken to your destiny, to your plan, to your purpose. I don't care who's died in your past. I don't care what curses were spoken over you. The plans of God cannot be thwarted in your life. Come on, tell me something on that. They cannot be thwarted in your life. And he can even overcome our pitiful decision making. Come on now, that's good stuff. Because there's going to be an encounter with the glory of God that will change your life. These are some of my favorite messages because my, my, the calling on my life is to draw out the destiny in people. That, that's my life calling. If you ever wonder what Joel's called to do, is to draw the destiny out of you. The Bible says the purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's my job, to draw it out of you. And, and, and that's, that's why I'm very prophetic in my preaching and my teaching, not Old Testament prophetic, New Testament prophetic, because it's awakening things in you. It's bringing life back into you. Whatever your job or career has squashed that says you got to be this because you can't be that, I'm saying awaken it. And I'll get off track here for a little bit. I may go till 8 o'clock tonight. I'm just saying y'all be ready. <laughs> I told you today's a different day for me, so I'm never going to be the same after today. Come on, come on. And, and, and so in that, in, in 10 years from now, you're going to be somewhere. Why not be what your heart's desire is and your destiny is called to be? I'll never forget, I, I, I said that exact phrase about eight years ago. Two people I know took it to heart, 
and one of them enrolled in college, and they graduated five years later with the degree and the desire of, your heart, of their heart. They were 350-some-odd pounds, and she lost over 250 pounds. And she started her, her career in, in, in phys, uh, uh, kinesiology and, and health and studying that, and has coached several women to become who they're called to be in their destiny. Another man, he never even graduated a high school, and he thought he was always going to be confined to what he was doing at the moment. But I preached that message. He said, Joel, I went and got my GED a couple of weeks later, and then I went to and got my associate's degree. Now I'm working on my bachelor's degree, and now I'm in the criminal justice office and doing exactly what I've desired to do for years, all because God awakened something in me that the world had tried to kill. Let God resurrect something in your life. And, and listen, I'm telling you testimonies that happened right here at this church. This isn't something in California or San Diego. It's not something off in the Philippines or Thailand or Africa. It's here. And if God did it for them, come on now. Let him awaken something in you. And you ladies who see yourself ministering around the world, you better grab hold of that because God's not finished with women especially. Come on now. And, and I'm telling you, don't, don't put God in a box. All y'all people who love that movie with Patrick Swayze, don't put baby in a corner. Say it however you want to. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I know all the women would get that. That's why I said it. <laughs> My wife is embarrassed right now. Come on now. Don't put God in a box. Come on. Listen, say, everybody said, Joel, what you're doing in Silver Springs is never going to work. I don't care what they say anymore. <laughs> Come on now. And if you can't believe it to yourself, follow me long enough and you'll start believing it. Because you'll see him do amazing things in this place through me and a multitude of others that will start you on a believing process that what God started in me, come on, he's going to finish it. He who began a good work in you says is faithful to complete it. But you've got to start giving it a pillow and start resurrecting that dream that you put in a tomb. And get ready for God to do something amazing in your life. I don't even know where I'm at. Come on now. It says we've got to begin to understand... Uh, what did God say? That's the point I'm on right there. Verse number four, it says, when Jesus got the message, this sickness is not fatal or it will not lead to death, it will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying his son. We've got to remember what God said, because when the drama hits, that's going to be your only stabilizing force. Come on now. You've got to know what God has told you. You've got to know what that promise is. This is why the Bible says, hide your words in his heart so that you won't sin against him. Hide that dream, that passion, that desire so deep down inside of you that you won't revert from it and sin against him by giving up on your destiny. Come on. And so we must begin to understand this process. And so, so as, we, as we jump into this, we've got to remember what God says because it's just like I talked about the, the disciples when they got into the boat and the storm hit. They didn't remember what he said. All they saw was the circumstance of the storm. We've got to remember what he said. What was his promise? Man, whenever I see the church and I'm at a point where, where I don't think I'm capable of doing all that I'm called to do, and, and many times I'm not, I trust in his promise to me rather than my own abilities to overcome the circumstances around me. Come on now. Listen, it's not that Joel's great, but I serve a great, great God who has all the wisdom in the world. And he said, I'll give it to you, Joel, if you'll just ask. So when the circumstances arise that I don't have the abilities to overcome, I trust in him who's greater than my circumstances all along. And I remember what he said to me. And I remember the original vision he's given me for my life. And so when the drama hits, when the husband or wife wants to walk out, you got to remember what he said. And I don't know if you've ever seen a bulldog latch onto something. Come on. 
But you need to get a pit bull mentality spiritually. And that promise that he gave you, you need to latch on to it and you need to not let go of it. And some of you, and some of you have been so weak in holding on to the promises of God. You've let every man that walks by you steal it from you because you're looking to a man and not to God. Some of you men, you let every woman who walks by steal it from you. You need to grab onto the promise of God. Some of you let every promotion that walks by steal it from you. Some of you let every pay raise you brought goes by you steal it from you. And listen, if you are if you are if you're if you're simply following after money, you're simply prostituting yourself out to the highest bidder. And we, quit, we as the body of Christ, we need to hold on to the promises of God because he's faithful to complete it. And if we would quit prostituting ourselves out to every, every great deal that we see coming by trying to make ourselves achieve what he's called us to achieve instead of letting him achieve it through us, man, we'll, we'll arrive a lot quicker. And we'll save a lot of storms along the way. But when the drama hits, when the storm arises, when the catastrophe happens, you must remember the promise of God that was spoken to you. And and I want to hit on this for a couple times. It says, notice when Jesus got the news of Lazarus' illness, his first words that Jesus says, this sickness is not fatal. He said, this sickness is not fatal. And everybody should have remembered his first words. Because what Jesus said, this sickness is not fatal. Even if Lazarus really did die, and he did really die, Jesus said it's not fatal. So even if it did die, it's not fatal. He's got to be obligated by his promise to raise it up again. <laughs> Listen, it's the same thing with, with, with Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. He took God at his word. And even though his son was proverbially dead, laid upon the altar... Abraham knew that even if my son dies, God made a promise to me that he's got to fulfill. So if I sacrifice my son and he's dead and he's my inheritance, God's got to raise him from the dead. There's no other option because Isaac was the son of faith. Now listen, this is so prophetic because God set Abraham up and went into covenant with him. So when Jesus was laid up on the altar of the cross, God then had rights with his covenant through humankind, through Abraham. He said, I get to raise my son from the dead. Come on now. I get to raise him from the dead. I don't got to. I get to because I'm in covenant with humankind. And and what I did in my covenant with Abraham back on the mountain with Isaac, I let him live. And there was a ram in the bush. I get to do that to my son. And he is the lamb of God that now I get to raise from the dead. And now I get to see the multitudes come. So even when, 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 when it does look like it's dead, God in his first words is now obligated to rise him back up. Don't give something a tomb that God says give it a pillow. We must begin to grab onto the promises of God. And I want to hit a couple of these. We've got to start remembering the first of Jesus to the church. He said, upon this, the first time church is mentioned in the Bible is in Matthew. And it says, and the minute church is mentioned, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I really don't care what's going on worldwide right now. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, God Almighty. There's going to be a day, even though if the church looks dead, it's got to rise up again. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the first thing he said about the church. And it's the promise of God to the church. So it doesn't matter to me how bad things look for the church. God says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Get ready to rise up. See, you got a destiny that you didn't even know about when he talked about the church. Come on now, huh? Uh, That's what gives me peace in times of turmoil like this that we're in. 
Man, I'm getting emails from missionaries all over the world on, on, on tragedies in their life, things that are going on. I mean, even I just got an email the other day from a, a missionary in South Sudan that we visited. And, and over 300 civilians were killed by a military uprising in his city. And he's asking, Joel, what do I need to do? And this is the verse that I sent him. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will stand and God will rise the church up in the most detrimental moments to see, to see something happen. That's amazing. Come on now. I'll, I'll just pick, I, I picked out a couple people. And the woman caught in adultery, first words to her were, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What did she have to overcome? Jesus said your first words were, go to her, were, go and sin no more after he forgave her. So what did she do? She had to leave that place. She had to go, and so she went. But you know what? I know how society is, because even though, even though we're in different generations, people don't really change. They just find a different way to sin. Right? I mean, Noah got drunk. We still get drunk. The, the sin doesn't change, just different ways of doing it. Right? So, so I know that even in this time in the Bible, the, the people don't change, but, but what the words they say may change. And so I know when this woman left and Jesus said, go and sin no more, Jesus had great faith in her, knowing that she could rise up and be an amazing woman of God through after this time. But she still had to put up with the reputation that she had to develop <laughs> And you know what? I guarantee you, the next time she was out in the market, when all the other ladies were in the market, because Jesus had forgiven her, now she's clean, and previously she was getting water in the middle of the day, she wasn't even associating with society. Come on now. I can already see what all the other ladies did. I've seen ladies treat ladies like this. Well, I don't know why she's out here with us. I know what Jesus said, but we got to let her lifestyle prove it out and see, see the change in her. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. People walk into church after they've been drinking for five years. Well, you know, we'll just see how long he stays clean and sober. You need to have more faith in Jesus than that. I mean, why don't you walk up beside him and help him walk it out rather than to see if they'll fall on their own? Come on now. And he said, go and sin no more. So I believe with all my heart. And she overcame not just the reputation that she had, but she became a woman that was empowered by God to begin to do great things throughout the kingdom of God. This next guy, the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter number 5. And I don't have time to turn there, but I'll tell you. But go read Mark chapter 5, but then read Mark chapter 6 after that. This demon-possessed guy, Jesus lands. I'm going to turn there anyway. I don't even care. Mark chapter 5, you got your Bibles, open it up, be there with me. It says, he came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Genesaries, and, and when he had stepped off the boat, immediately there met him a man of the tombs with an unclean spirit. I'll just say it in today's term. This dude was demon-possessed. I mean, crazy as all get out. You don't live in the tombs if you're normal. And listen, you, you, that's like somebody camping out in the graveyard because they have no place in society. That's what was happening. He was living among the dead people. And he would cut himself and all these crazy things happened. Jesus miraculously heals this dude. Then Jesus gets in the boat. And, and, and well, the, last, the first words to him were, go and tell your friends and family what I did. That's where Jesus' first words to him after he set him free. Go and tell your friends and family what I did. And so after Jesus heals this dude, he gets in the boat, goes to another area. Then he finishes there, gets back in the boat. And chapter 6 starts out. 
Maybe it's not six. Verse 53 of chapter 6. It says, when they crossed over, then they came to the land of Genesaret. It's roughly the same area that they're in. And moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever, they, whenever he came into villages, cities, or the countryside, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Why do I bring that story up? Demon guy. Jesus sets him free. Jesus' first words to him. And the guy said, Jesus, let me follow you. Jesus said, No. He said, go tell your friends and family. Jesus goes, does other work, comes back to the region. And when he gets off the boat, people recognize him and begin to flock to him. What do you think this man did? He went and told all his friends and family what Jesus did for him. And so when he arrived back at the other side, he got off the boat. All the friends and family said, there's the one who set him free. Bring him to him. I'm telling you, it doesn't even matter if a demon is controlling your life. Come on now. When Jesus sets you free, what's the first promise he gave you? If you'll start walking in that promise, when Jesus gets back to your area, look what gets to happen. This man became literally the first evangelist. <laughs> Say what you want about Peter, Paul, and the other guys. He went and told everybody about Jesus, so when Jesus landed, everybody came and saw Jesus. We must begin to understand when God gives us a promise, listen to the first thing he says. Listen to what he tells you about it, because he's got something for you. God has oddlies. God has oddlies, but they're never odd from heaven's perspective. God has oddlies, but they're never odd from heaven's perspective. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, but oddly. Everybody say, but oddly. When he heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on there for two more days. And after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Whenever we're trying to figure out heaven from an earthly perspective, you're going to have oddlies. Come on now. Whenever you're trying to figure out heaven from an earthly perspective, you're going to have oddlies. It's because you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Jesus said this sickness is not fatal. It will not lead to death. It will be an occasion for the glory of God. And the disciples said, this is weird because we got there and he's been dead for two days. It was oddly. It's oddly. It looks oddly when you're continuing to stand in faith on the promises of God and the whole world doesn't see anything happening, but they're not seeing it from heaven's perspective. Listen, your stance of faith in the world today, it's going to look oddly (laughs) because people are looking at it from an earthly perspective. But listen to this. You've been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So you no longer look at your life from an earthly perspective. But if you continue to look at the process of God from an earthly perspective, because remember, an occasion, it takes time. There's a process. It's deliberate. Everything's falling into place. If you're looking at it from an earthly perspective in this mention, you're going to say, this looks oddly. God, I don't understand it. God, I don't understand why you're not coming through for me. You're saying this is oddly. God, I don't understand why the promise isn't here yet. This is oddly. God, I'm 28 years old and I'm not married. This is oddly. <laughs> Come on, some of y'all are out there. And see, y'all, y'all are laughing. It's like, there's no 28-year-olds in here. I may not be preaching to you. The person who listens to this on podcast around the world may just got spoken to. <laughs> okay? So, so, so there's oddlies in the world today. 
God, we're believing you, we're standing in faith, we're doing everything you said to do, and we don't see it come to pass. Don't put something in the tomb where he's trying to just give it rest. Continue to stand and believe, because even though it looks oddly from your perspective, nothing ever looks oddly from heaven's perspective. Nothing ever looks oddly from God's perspective. And listen, whenever you're trying out to figure out heaven from earth, you're going to have oddlies. But listen, this is why John 16, 13 is here. And when the spirit of truth comes, and he's already come. It came in Acts chapter number 2. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. The word of God will become rhema and alive to you. It will become your daily bread to supply for you on a daily basis until the oddly doesn't seem odd anymore and he manifests his promise to you. We, we've got to get that. This rhema word, that you, this, this logos word that you read will become the rhema word, which is your daily bread. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. Later the disciples went to get him real bread, and he said, I got bread to eat that you know nothing about. He's talking about the word of God ministering to you on a daily continual basis is what will sustain you and help you nourish you and make you strong enough for the blessing that he's about to manifest in you. And we must begin to walk this out. When the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you in all truth. He's not even going to speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, talking about the Father, speak to him, he will speak. So the Father is telling the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who should be overflowing out of you, who Jesus said, I want to baptize you with him, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. Amen. Come on. That the spirit on the inside of you, God says, I'm speaking directly to that spirit that has awakened your spirit through being born again. And what I tell him... I'm going to tell him what is concerning you to take care of you, and he's going to bring you back to the promise of God in you so you don't give up on him. He will tell you whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. For example, how many of y'all, how many of y'all just, some of you need to make a face. We all need to get debt free, amen? amen? Let's just get debt free. Praise God. Pay off everything. Get debt free. In this moment, between the promise of God in your life and the manifestation of it, there may be a time lapse that occurs. And as this time lapse occurs, you're going to be getting a rhema from the word of God to sustain you as this time lapse is here. But when the crisis or the catastrophe hits, if we haven't been listening to the Spirit tell us things to come and obeying the Spirit and things to come because of a time lapse... When the crisis hits, we'll find ourselves falling victim to the crisis rather than obeying what he said, then the crisis doesn't seem like a crisis anymore. I mean, if you've been reading the scriptures on a daily basis, when you get the phone call of cancer, cancer doesn't seem to be the shock to the one who's been hearing the Holy Spirit. And God's been saying, in your spirit, I want you to study on the healings of Jesus Christ because your occasion is about to become a glorification for the glory of God. And so many Christians, when they get that phone call, they panic and they freak out. And the Holy Spirit was trying to tell us things to come. Study the word of God according to this. Study the word of God on this. Study the word of God on this. Some of you, when he tells you to start forgiving other people, he's trying to tell you things to come. Because until you forgive, it's not going to be able to manifest the breakthrough that's trying to get you to your, to your promise. I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you, and it doesn't matter how simple it seems to be, it's a, it needs to be, I'll do it as an act of obedience because I trust what he's doing in me now. It's getting to me my, to my destiny. Can I trust him moving forward today? What I, what I only understand looking back on it tomorrow. We've talked about this. And so 
What I'm getting at is even in my own personal life, there was a time four or five years ago I was driving down the road and I had just gotten my Jeep and so it would have been about five years ago and the top was off and I was driving down Highway 11 and a straw wrapper blew out of my Jeep. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to turn around and go pick that up. I kept on driving. I said, it's a straw wrapper. That ain't no big deal. It's biodegradable. It'll be gone after the next storm. It'll just disintegrate all into the dirt. It'll be fine. It's no big deal. Recycling a process. We'll let it happen naturally. I mean, come on. I'm not justifying it in every way. And by the time I got to 2560, I turned around, drove back down to pick up a straw wrapper. Couldn't find a straw wrapper anywhere. Picked up a bunch of other trash in the process. And some of you are saying, what does that have to do with anything? And I'll tell you the answer to it right now. I have no idea. I don't know why. I just know what the Holy Spirit said, and it was an act of obedience to go back and respond to what he told me to do because I know what God is doing in my life. He's saying, Joel, I'm tired of delayed obedience in your life. I want immediate obedience. And the straw wrapper wasn't immediate obedience. (laughs) And you notice what I did. Without immediate obedience, I had to pick up a bunch more trash than the one piece if it would have been immediate obedience. (laughs) And it was a life lesson for me. That when I immediately obey, I'll avoid a lot more trash, (laughs) come on now, than when I don't. (laughs) When you immediately obey, when God says, give somebody, buy somebody a meal, or or put your tithe in the offering plate, or start studying healing, you're going to avoid a lot more trash, and it's always a simple act of obedience. And listen, you can tell me you trust him to go to heaven one day, but if you can't trust him to turn around and pick up a straw wrapper, I don't know how you're getting to heaven. Come on now. How are you going to get to heaven when you can't even trust him that he's got working on you to go pick up a straw wrapper? I mean, we've got it backwards. And so we must begin to trust him. And so we've got to stay in heavenly perspective to understand the oddlies. Because we do not understand the oddlies, we have tombs and coffins overflowing with dreams and visions and promises that God said are just asleep. We got tombs overflowing, listen, with dreams and visions and promises that God said are just asleep. Some of you have been so caught up in in, in your crisis, you don't even know that God's got a dream out there for you because you're so busy listening to the louder voices we said Sunday, you don't even hear the promise that's trying to be spoken into you. And you got dreams and visions locked up in coffins that that God said are just asleep. I, I've read this quote several times, especially in a series we did uh, a year or so ago, uh, the Graveyard Series. It says, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here you will find the hopes and the dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step to keep with the problem or determined to carry out their dream. Some of y'all need to get that in. You need to stick it on your office desk and realize every morning when you walk in here, this ain't my destiny. You get back in whatever nine to five you got and you're so unhappy, you need to write that down and say, this ain't my destiny. I'm going to do this until I can take the next step of faith, and I'm going to do it faithfully, but I'm going to start listening for God because this isn't where I'm, I'm not living this life out being miserable. I'm not going to be living in the tombs all my life. I got dreams on the inside of me that I'm going to see him do something with in my life. I'm going to hit this last point. 
of take away the stone. And then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and it had a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Maybe you've given up on God. Maybe you've given up on a dream. Maybe you've given up on a desire and said, it's never going to happen. I'm going to say, Jesus has got a word for you. It's called take away the stone. Take away the stone. Listen, Jesus didn't take the stone away. You've got to get this in the story. Jesus didn't walk up to the tomb and roll the stone away. He told the human side, roll the stone away. He's telling you, you roll the stone away so I can speak into whatever you've locked up in that tomb that I said give it a pillow, but you've put it in the grave. I'm going to speak into that, but you've got to be the one to roll away the stone that's in front of your destiny. You've got to be the one to do it. Man, I'm telling you, I love walking people into their destiny. <laughs> Man, I, 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 I love this, this story. It's happening right now uh, in my life. And I'm walking with this guy, and I'm walking him into his destiny. And five years ago, he started coming to this church, and, and he said, you know, I'm just here to serve. Just here to serve. His mama always said, there's a calling on your life. There's a calling on your life. There's a calling on your life. I'm just here to serve. There's a calling on your life. I'm just here to serve. I'm calling on your life. I'm just here to serve. He was trying to put in a cave what God, uh-uh. And, and, and we've had some conversation. He's rolled away the stone. He's letting God develop something in his life. And God's rising him up to a place. Come on. Now, it's, ooh, I get excited. I wish I could tell you who it was. I'm not going to spoil his thunder, though. And, and I love seeing that. But you have got to take away the stone. Man, and, and the greatest gift God has ever given me, and I think it drives my wife absolutely bonkers, is this. God has given me such naive optimism <laughs> that I believe the very best in you until you prove me wrong 500 times, and then I still believe there's something good in you. <laughs> Come on now. And I'm going to call out that goodness because I believe that one thing of goodness can override a lot of badness. And I'm sure it drives her nuts, but I love it because that naive faith is what I call it, or optimistic faith, or whatever. You, I don't care what you call it. I'm happy it's just the greatest gift God's ever given me. Because in that, I can help people roll away a stone that they had never picked up a hand to roll away on their own. And, and that's why I can look at every one of you in the face, and, and I don't know all your past, but I know you're carrying a bunch of baggage tonight. And, and, and what's in front of that tomb is not a stone. It's a bunch of bags of your sins, and of your past, and of your problems, of your regrets, of your mistakes, that God's saying, start rolling it away. Start rolling away because I'm going to speak into your destiny. I'm going to look into that tomb and I'm going to call it out, that promise that you buried. And I'm going to let something happen in your life. You've got to begin to take away that stone. But here's the thing. In taking away the stone, it means you're going to put your heart out there to believe again. <laughs> it means you're going to put your heart out there to trust him again. And in rolling away that stone, you're going to have to deal with some hurt. And rolling away that stone, you're going to have to deal with some false lies that the enemy's told you that you're believing as the truth. And if you believe a lie, even the, if you believe something that's a lie, even, if it, even though it's a lie, if you believe it like it's the truth, it may as well be the truth for you. Right? right. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Women with their bodies have this, have this down to a science. You look at it and you see a lie. Everybody else says, oh, you look beautiful today. No, I don't. It doesn't matter how many compliments somebody gives you. Because you believe a lie like it's the truth, so it may as well be the truth for you. I mean, I'm serious. Guys with your destiny, the same thing. You're a mighty man of God. He don't know me. He don't know what I've done. He doesn't know what I've been through. 
How does he see a mighty man of destiny? You, you're believing the lie like it's the truth, so that lie may as well be the truth for you. But he wants to roll away that stone of false lies, and, and, and we can bring you through some freedom ministry. I'm telling you. It's fun. But it's not my calling, so I let other people do it. <laughs> we want you to roll away that stone tonight. But to do that, you're going to have to... The hardest thing is believing again after you've been hurt. And it's really not believing that, that this, the term I want to use. The hardest thing is, can I trust God again after I've been hurt and what I feel like what was my destiny, but it didn't happen in my timing. So, so I think I was hurt, and I've actually blamed God for my hurt and my lies and the things I believe in. God, I'm going to trust you again. Hardest thing you'll ever do is stretch your heart out there again to trust. To trust him. But it happens in the littlest acts that you do. But it takes a step of faith to begin to do it. Believing him, believing hurts. <laughs> believing causes struggle. You're going to have to make lifestyle changes. Believing's tough. <laughs> you can't just say, I believe and God's going to do it. You're going to have to do some lifestyle changes. He's going to have to do some mind transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's going to start, start digging stuff deep and digging a bunch of junk out, <laughs> probably. How many of y'all have ever laid a foundation for a house? Same thing for a skyscraper. You've got to dig a, dig a bunch of dirt and junk out before you can put what you need in there and then put it back in with the right kind of fill dirt before you can put a concrete foundation on it to build up. You're going to have to get some mind transformation going on. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know the will of God, his good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. But you've got to start believing again. You've got to put it out there again. You've got to begin to trust him again. And your answer is this. Jesus is going to say to you, did I not tell you, Joel, when you believe, you will see the glory of God. I'm believing. I'm believing. Man, I made some decisions this morning in my quiet time. Man, my life will never be the same. I'm believing. This message ain't just for you, it's for me. I'm believing. The destiny that God has set out for me is going to happen. Joel's going to have to grow, change, walk in some bigger shoes. But I'm believing. And I believe him enough that his glory is going to manifest. And God's going to make my life an occasion that will affect a multitude of people simply because I believe. It's that simple.